Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out, I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is Tony Lindgren, who is a veteran mastering engineer at Fascination Street Studios in Sweden. Tony has worked with so many acts, ranging from Creator to Billie Eilish to Dimu Borgir to Leprous and hundreds more. I introduce you, Tony Lindgren. Welcome to the URM podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure to have you here. I've been following your work for a really long time. And like we were saying before, I feel like we've just missed each other several times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you guys were here, was it like 2017, question mark? Okay, so we've been to Sweden like four or five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I realize not every place in Sweden is uh, <laughs> it's not, is the it's same It's not around place. the corner there's, just because it's no, in Sweden. There, no, yeah. There's lots of different places in Sweden, <laughs> but it's all a blur. Yeah, yeah. But I think we did nail the mix with Jens the first time in June 2018. Okay, yeah. Either I had like my vacation or maybe I was like sick or something. Because I, I, I know I missed you guys just when you were here. So it was June. So it was when you Swedes take your six weeks. <laughs> six, six weeks. <laughs> You're uh, laughing. Yeah. I know people who take six weeks, yeah, but that I, just I, seems I, insane <laughs> to me. <laughs> I know a lot of people that take six weeks as well, six weeks as well, but um, I think like five is the standard. But you know, like in this business, there's no five 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 weeks of vacation. You know? No, man, I couldn't imagine doing that. And I realized that we're in different segments of the business. But yeah, when I was producing, I couldn't imagine imagine that. And uh, when I was you know, at first I was producing and had the band. And every single time that I'd focus on the band, it was like my production stuff just got knocked back a few pegs. Like I had to restart the momentum every time. And I just feel like taking that long off, especially nowadays when there's so many people doing it, yeah. it just seems like a bad idea. Yeah. And it's also... 
I think our problem, what we've had is that we've had a lot of kind of a rush of clients that want to want to work with us during the summers. Usually when it comes to mastering, it's usually like, you know, like, like this emergency masterings to, to be able to release something uh, for festivals and stuff like that. We want to take vacations, but it's kind of impossible because you don't want to say no to anything <laughs> at the same time. Man, saying no is really, really hard. I have a big problem with it, even with what I do now. Tell me if you can relate to this. I'm so used to saying yes because one opportunity leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. And so saying no to an opportunity could be saying no to something that could be potentially transformative. Oh yeah, for sure. Like that's exactly how it is. I would say that a lot of my work is word of mouth, you know, it's people mm -hmm. talking about being happy w with what I did and I did it in a, you know, you know, short notice and stuff like that. And that, you know, they, they, they talk to their producer friends and stuff like that and they come in. So I, I would not want to say no. I've never said no to anything. <laughs> never. <laughs> Ever? I, I don't think so, honestly. Like, I, I maybe, like, if, if I've been sick and they're like, you know, we need it tomorrow, <laughs> I might have had to say no, but um, there's so many, so many instances where I've been having a weekend in Stockholm or something with my girlfriend, and it's like someone emails me during the weekend and like, we need this on Monday morning, you know, and it's like, well, I'm getting back on Sunday evening. Uh, let, let me just run into the <laughs> studio and do this. <laughs> well, I guess with mastering, it might be a little easier than mixing. And I don't mean that mastering is easier than mixing, but because it takes less time to rail off a song. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can't really compare the two when it comes to how much time it takes. There's always that thought that you need to take time off to kind of, you know, get your shit together, basically. <laughs> uh, and also just like relax, you know, save your ears. You know, it's a, it's a demanding job physically as well. So you need How to so? take that time. I mean, for the ears, you know, just like, like being objective. Um, I, I know that when I've had a lot to work on, like that I, I need, let's say like... On a Monday, on, on Tuesday, I need to deliver a lot of stuff. When I do, maybe I finish up one album and then I like, you know, actually lay down and have like one hour nap or something between the albums. Just to kind okay. of you know, reset your whole brain, you know, instead of just like throwing yourself into a new thing straight off. It, it, it all it all depends on what kind of... If, if it's albums, you need to kind of reset a little bit more. If it's just like single songs, it's not not a big deal, you know. You're able to actually slow down enough to take a hour-long nap and then work again? It has happened for sure. For sure. <laughs> Impressive. I'm definitely the one that has been sleeping the most at this place. <laughs> like uh, compared to like, you know, artists coming in. If, if you don't, if you can't see it, I'm, I'm still at the old place. I, I know you like the old place. Oh, I love the old place. I think it's gorgeous. Obviously, keeping your ears in great shape yeah. is important for any sort of audio engineer. But I think that for mastering engineers, it's especially important because you're listening to stuff in less than a dB error of margin. Yeah, and you also want to be able to have that 
kind of first impression feeling, you know, so so you don't mm-hmm. like overdo stuff. I know that I I usually get in way too much in the details. I am um, I'm a very meticulous guy overall, you know, but it, it's still you still want to have that kind of feeling of getting a fresh air on the project as much as you can, you know, because it's so quickly that you start to get used to what you're hearing, you know. I agree. And I just thought of something that I've actually wanted to ask you if I ever got to talk to you. Sure. So back in the day when I would go looking for a mastering engineer, like to mix my band, I mean, not mix my band, to master my band. (laughs) Bad choice. Yeah, yeah. No no shit. Back before I was like, you know, before I had like this network of people and knew how everything worked, uh, one of my first ideas was get someone who worked on like rap and pop because they know how to have huge low end and who maybe did like (laughs) Rob Zombie 2 or something. And so that because they understand heavy and huge and that's such a great idea. And then I did that and it was a fucking mistake because (laughs) they tried to dial low end on it that was like for a rap record. It just... It just sounded fucking wrong. And part of me told myself, well, maybe the mix sucked. But over the (laughs) years, I had a few clients who also took that approach. They wanted super high-end mastering. And I don't mean like Ted Jensen or something. They'd go to to like strictly like R&B guys or guys that don't understand metal. Not someone like Ted Jensen who can do everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their masters would always come back just blown out in the low end or super, super muddy and just wrong. Yeah. And I am wondering your opinion on this. Do you think that in order to do a good job with the mastering for extreme metal, like Demu Borgir or something like that, you kind of need to understand the music and the goals of the music. You can't just walk in there like a, mastering engineer blank slate and just do what you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I do agree for sure, but it's also mastering and mixing is like mixing, you kind of want to stay in a certain niche. It's hard to be really good at a lot of different kind of genres when it comes to mixing. With mastering, I I tend to feel that it's easier for sure. I I can't speak for for the guys, the the rap guys that that, um, mastered your metal metal record. But um, they were great mastering engineers, by the way. Like these are dudes with like platinum records. And I guess what I mean is do you think that heavy music has a specific type of skill set or or certain type of sensibility that you can only gain through actually listening to the music and yeah i i mean i I would say like this i I would say it's easier for me as a metal guy going to other genres than you know someone that only does hip-hop working on a mass on, on a metal mastering because what you're saying is absolutely correct you know metal has so many different kind of uh, things that you need to keep right you need to have that you no know, you want that heavy low end but you also want that sharp mids but you don't want the mids to sound harsh and you want that top end that sounds airy but you don't want you know everything to sound you know, the, the S's in the vocals to be too out there, you know, or the cymbals too too loud. And 
And and when it comes to metal overall, it's just such a dense kind of genre. You have so many, it's like all the frequencies at the same time, you know. And you have to know how to handle that for sure. It's, uh, it's uh, I would say that mastering metal is actually probably maybe the, the best way to learn how to get good at mastering. Because if you can master metal very good, you can probably go to other genres easier, at least, than going the other way around, I would say. Because there's space in there's other space. genres. Like, yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, I've done a lot of pop records as well, and it's always like, oh, this is so nice, man. It's so easy to master this. You know, you can do whatever you want to it, and it kind of still sounds okay, while metal is super sensitive. As soon as you do, like, maybe a little bit, you know, you maybe boost that kind of 3K area a little bit too much, and it kind of just tilts over to, to sound way harsher than it should be, and it's just like... The listening, listening and experience just dies because of it, you know. In my ears, at least. <laughs> I don't know if the mainstream audience would care, but um, it's it's definitely also like metal guys. Metal guys, people in metal are w- so specific with what they like. They care. Oh yeah, for sure. Like when it comes to pop people, they might just be. Oh, we want it louder, and you know, it it should be brighter and louder. That that might be kind of what they want and it, that's kind of easy to to reach you know but metal guys you know you have the drummer that want, wants the drums to be super punchy and stand out and you want the guitars to be huge and you know you know it's, it's, uh, it's a different type of audience so oh yeah, i think that sure. the pop audience are more of your general consumers yeah. uh, from all all walks of life yeah. uh, the, but metal even though not every single metal fan is a musician a large portion, large, uh, I don't know what the number is, but <laughs> I would bet you well over 50% have at least owned a guitar or an instrument or have wanted to do a band at some point. Uh, it's a very, it's a audience of musicians uh, f- f- in large part. Yeah, and so they have more specific tastes. Yeah, they, they absolutely do. And like... That's what you hear if you just read like YouTube comments on whatever, let's say like a, an Iron Maiden record. People are going to talk about how they love the sound and how, you know, a lot of those criteria that even though if the, the person in question isn't maybe a musician, they have that kind of, they, they, they m- m- might be fiddling around with the guitar at home and they also have a very specific preference in what they like production wise as well when i don't think you see that as much when it comes to pop music or the pop audience yeah i think that it with the pop audience they do they like the song yeah yes cool can they move their ass to it yes cool (laughs) exactly basically i I think that that's and i don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing no, absolutely not. I mean, I'm not saying that mastering pop is easy. I'm just, but but I think it's easier at least because you you don't have the amount of pressure <laughs> on you that you normally have working on metal because metal guys are very picky with their sounds. Yeah. Um, now, do you think that it's harder to justify the need for mastering as a job? these days in metal considering that so many people are doing it themselves and 
learning how to do it themselves? Like what's your, like, I, I do think there is, but I'm curious what you think. Um, I, I've seen a lot of, like, I've seen a lot of threads in the community on, on Facebook, uh, talking about that, but I, I, I don't know. Like I, I've never felt that, um, there's a lot of good, you know, home producers out there for sure. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. You know, I, I've, I've had stuff delivered here and like they send the mix and then they send their own rough master and the rough master sounds awesome, you know, but, uh, that also inspires me even more to, you know, make my master sound even better than that, you know. Then we get down to the whole, you know, is mastering only like putting a limiter on something and make it loud? <laughs> or is it like the whole process of, you know, actually make every song on a record flow together in a, in a nice way and, you know, everything like that. Different formats, yada, yada, yada. Um, but uh, I, I, I absolutely do still think that a mastering engineer is still important because you want, or I don't know how many want, but I, I think it's very good to have a second pair of ears that you trust, you know, because that's how I've been working for a long time now, you know, just reaching out and getting producers to, to like what I do. They come back constantly, even though they can do like the mastering process themselves. They trust what I do with their songs, that they rather give me their mixes to master, you know. So I think it's still going to be a long while before we see the mastering business dying out, you know. Well, I mean, that is the place where mixes start to really get ruined. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it, I mean, like that's I kind of usually like think of it as when I was like over 20 years ago when I was in school, I, I went to I studied like um, theatrical lighting or something like that. And the teacher always told us that if the audience doesn't react to the lighting, if they don't like, basically, if they don't see the lighting as a thing, then you've done a great job, you know. If someone listens to a, to a song and they just love it and they don't like start to remark on the mastering, you've probably done a good job as a mastering engineer, you know. So you know what I'm saying? Like if it's if if the song and the mix they can just experience through, it. Yeah, yeah, and that is a good mastering. You know, it's it's not going to be. I mean, of course, for for us producers and people that are more, you know, in the know, we can hear if you know this 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 probably failed in the mastering stage. But for the normal consumer, if they just feel that this is just everything comes through in a perfect way, and uh, you enjoy listening to it no matter how loud it is, that's when the mastering engineer has done a great job, in my opinion, at least. Now, when you first hear a song, you know, you get that first listen that we were talking about earlier. What is it that starts coming through your through your mind? Is it technical stuff? Are we talking about a mix that I'm going to master or just a song off of Spotify? A mix that you're going to master. You put it in your DAW, you hit play. When I work, I work. I can absolutely enjoy the, the music I listen to when I work, but I don't start listening to the song to enjoy it. I, I, I'm kind of quickly into the whole technical you know, bit of my brain, listening to a little bit what I, what I do. It's usually like frequency stuff, you know, if, if, if it's, mm -hmm. is this sounding too dark or is it sounding too stressed or, you know, stuff like that. When I'm, when I'm at work, but yeah. 
when you're at work, how long did it take you to get comfortable with what you're hearing at work? <laughs> Are you comfortable with what? <laughs> no, like every record and every product is a new product. You know, it's, uh, I mean, of course I'm, I have over a decade of experience now, so it's, uh, it's a huge difference from me starting out, but there are projects where I have to like try out some different kind of styles or EQs and stuff like that before I really find find what makes the song really come together in the best way, you know? Yeah. How long did it take for you to hear something coming out of your speakers and know that what you're hearing is what's actually there. Oh, <laughs> that took a few years for sure. Like what I did in the beginning for a few years actually was that I, I mastered, let's say I mastered an album. I mastered it and I took it home and just put it into my computer and like with my, I had like a those, uh, what, what they're called, HSM80 or something, the Yamaha. Yeah, those. Uh, speakers, yeah. Uh, that I just used at home, like when I, like back in the day when I recorded at home and stuff like that. So I, I knew them pretty well in that kind of shitty setup that they were in. If something sounded really good here and crappy at home, I knew that I probably still either overdid something in the mastering or didn't correct something in the right way. But it, it took a while for me to really get used to, you know, like instantly knowing uh, now it sounds good, you know. It can be so hard, you know. Sometimes it's like, ah, this sounds really good now. And then you start re re referencing other other tracks that you know sound really good. And it's like, ah, damn, <laughs> I still need to work on this, you know. <laughs> now, do you think it's something that comes from experience or monitors or treatment or a little bit of all of it? That's why I think master, master engineers are still going to be needed because you need a really good listening environment and a really good room to be able to kind of get the feel that this is going to work in a lot of systems. You know, you, you need that transparency to really hear everything. I, I know some do, but I, I couldn't imagine only master on like headphones or something. Even if I had like great headphones, I wouldn't do it because there's something that happens when, you know, the music really moves in the air that I, I want to hear to, to, to really be sure that something will sound good in uh, a lot of different uh, systems, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, what was your question? <laughs> I'm rambling. Sorry. Oh no, it's it's okay. We're just talking about knowing that what you're hearing is what's actually there, <laughs> and room treatment and yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to do mastering, it's gonna take a long, uh, you know, a good while for you to really get into how your speakers sound, how you should treat the material to translate well. You know, so sometimes that's kind of the danger with working with also like a really good setup because certain things like for example like bass here sounds freaking awesome you know <laughs> i'm sure i've heard it in there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and it's even better now if i like go and like push the push the bass a lot here you know it's like ah oh, this sounds so cool but i know from experience that this is not going to work you know so it's not it's not that maybe what i hear is the you know crucial point, but I know that this much bass is not going to work when you listen to the phone or through earbuds or whatever, you know. So you you, you, you kind of, you, you have to get comfortable with, with whatever setup you have, but also be able to, you know, check out everything, you know. Like nowadays, you know, people listen to their phone, through their phone, like just phone speakers so much that you actually have to keep that in mind as well, you know. Yeah, it's funny because people used to make fun of that. They'd yeah. say, oh, my clients are giving me mixed notes off of a phone. Yeah. 
but lots of people listen to music that way, so you just got to accept it. They do. Yeah, for sure. Like I've uh, mastered for a lot of people that make the, you know, hits. Let's let's just say call the one-hit wonder things, you know. They they want to they want to have like a pop hit. They always listen to through the phone. Always. They wouldn't care about having a super setup to listen through. They want to see that it works on the platform. They know they have to conquer, you know. They need the kids to love it on the phone, basically. Fair enough. If that's their platform, that's their platform. Yeah. That's the challenge with mastering. It's just like, even if you're comfortable with your listening environment, how people are listening to masters or music now nowadays is going to make you have to rethink some of your choices some of the times. Yeah, there's a lot of anger about that, I think, <laughs> in the engineering community. Yeah. But I think it's best to just accept it because it's not changing. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. I'm not the guy that I get angry about that kind of stuff. You know, you have you just have to roll with it. People love music and you, you, you can't stop them listening to whatever platform they want to listen to. So. Yeah, exactly. You know, you brought up headphones. Here's something I've noticed lately. So there was a time period where people said, don't mix in headphones, no matter what you do, it is verboten. But uh, a lot of mixers have been mixing in headphones, and I mean good mixers, and they're getting a lot better at it. And some of them master their own stuff and do a really good job. But one thing that I have noticed is that mastering engineers who master other people's stuff have not moved to headphones. I mean, I'm sure there are some. I know nowadays we have like the sonar works and all those kind of correction things, but I don't know. It's just something about hearing like the music move the air around you, you know, like feel the music. I couldn't work only with headphones. I absolutely, you know, use headphones to check out what I'm doing for sure. But I would never make any major changes just because of the headphones. Personally, I'm, I'm much more comfortable with doing that in speakers. I think it's different if you're a mixing engineer. I guess, yeah. Or a producer who's mixing something that they recorded and then doing it all. I don't know why, but I think it's a little bit different. There's something about only doing it in headphones for tracks that you're getting for the first time. Maybe mastering engineers will eventually adopt doing it that way, the way that a lot of mixers are. Who knows? Maybe one of the reasons that they're not moving in that direction is because the amount of money that they have invested in their listening <laughs> environments. You know, yeah, it could be, but um, but I still think there's something to it. For some reason, mastering engineers who take outside work are, for the most part, not moving to headphones. Yeah, I know some people both mix and do their masters in headphones, but it, it's all like how you also how you grew up in this business, how you how you listen That's to music. Very true. You know, it's like some people. I think is, is it Buster that uses a lot of uses yes. headphones a lot, and he's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that's like he he he's been using it for so long that I I, I can see how he has learned to listen through them in a in an objective way, you know. For me, that would, wouldn't be possible at, at this moment, you know, if I didn't start with headphones. All right, let me amend my statement. I think that that is part of it. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that the generation that grew up listening and working in headphones are probably going to stick to that because that's what they understand. Yeah. The only thing that I feel a lot where, where I can like basically know that something is mixed in headphones is there's something about headphones where a lot of people get the stereo image kind of weird 
sometimes. Because you don't like perceive the left-right in the same way as you do in speakers. Yes. So sometimes you can get like things that are like extremely widened. That sounds weird on on uh, speakers, but on their headphones maybe it sounds huge, you know. But it sounds extremely weird when you when you hear it through a physical medium like like a speaker instead of just you know pressed to your ears, you know. So that's where I, I think the headphone people might have more of a challenge because you you can't perceive that in the same way as you would hearing something through a speaker. Yeah, just so Buster doesn't hear this and say, hey, you guys misrepresented me. He does use speakers too. He does both. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. no hate against Buster at all. Absolutely. Buster's but I, is I great. Know, oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. I just, I just know that he uses headphones a lot. So that's why he I does. use him as an example. Yeah. I think that the physics of it will lead to weird stereo image issues. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of engineers that have grew up on headphones, they will know how to place things in stereo in a good good way using headphones but I, I i hear a lot of like almost you know every now and then i get a mix where it's like it's, it's the, the stereo image is not translating well and i i can almost swear every time that it's on headphones made on headphones so so what is the ideal scenario for you um someone sends you a track to master in metal and uh let's just say it's not someone like jens who what they send you is going to be fucking immaculate. So <laughs> yeah, let's exclude people like that. Yeah, sure. Like I said, there's a lot of people, I work with a lot of people that are great that work, you know, out of their bedroom and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it doesn't need to be Jens or, or, or David or someone like that. I usually recommend to mixing engineers to mix through a limiter, but that also goes as far as don't push the hell out of it in your limiter. Cause it, it, you know, if, if you, if you, if you, push your limiter way too hard while mixing you you might do like weird kind of you know you, you might push the snare way louder than it needs to be um, and in a real mastering setup you you won't need like some of those adjustments that, that, that some mixing engineers do mixing through a limiter you won't need them but always like being able to hear what your mix sounds when it when the energy is like compressed a little bit by a limiter is always good uh, so if they have had that in the beginning, and preferably also send that mix so I know how they've been listening to the mix straight up, that's always good. But the dream scenario, like just well, well mixed arranged song, you know, it's, it doesn't need to be anything made by someone super famous, super good. It's just like, especially like if you got your volumes right, you know, your overall EQs on point, it's going to sound sound well, you know. It's 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 when people go usually when, when people go way too far into like techniques they have seen that they don't understand that they try try to apply to stuff and it's just like everything is falls apart. That's when it's tougher to to work on a song usually. If that makes sense, I don't know. It does make sense because I think a lot of people and I do feel that we're guilty for for helping this happen. <laughs> but but you 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 guys are actually learning. You're, you're teaching people to, to to do the right stuff, you know. But I'm talking about those who just like checked out a YouTube link somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, I try really really hard to get people to understand that they shouldn't get into mid side EQ if they're not good at EQ in the first place. Exactly. You know, things like that. Don't fuck with parallel compression if you don't understand compression in the first place. Don't do, you know, machines crazy outside, inside routing (laughs) 
technique if yeah. you can't get a mix sounding good with just one master bus. Like things like that, I try really hard to get people to understand that. But I think, yeah, I was just talking to somebody yesterday. They home recorded and sent their shit to a really good metal mixer. They made a bunch of mistakes in the tracking to where a lot of guitars were monoing out, things like that. And I used to give him tips and would tell him all those important little basic details to think about when tracking, you know, tuning, tightness, like all the little things you have to think about. And he would ignore me. He told me he would ignore me because he was trying to make me think that he already knew all that shit. (laughs) And so he would skip ahead to the super advanced stuff and try to do all that. And then he records an album, sends it to, you know, a really good mixer and they encountered lots of problems because he did skip a bunch of the basics and there were tons of problems as a result. I have noticed that a lot where getting things right at a basic level isn't nearly as sexy as uh, MS processing. Yeah, yeah. It's just not. It just sounds so much cooler to know how to do that stuff, but it's not the right order of operations. For sure. And like we offer like a mix feedback feature when people send uh, tracks for mastering. And something that I always come back to is like volume automation. You know, you don't need to compress the vocals anymore. You know, you can ride that volume fader, you know, to, to make the, the vocals sit right in the mix. You know, the most basic of everything, you know, volumes of each element in a mix is so important, you know, that if you fail that it doesn't matter if you have like the coolest most punchiest snare in the whole world you know if everything else is just wrong in the balance you know the mix is gonna sound bad that's just how it is it's interesting too that a mix that might not have the most amazing surgical eq work and tricks applied to it if it's just balanced well will typically sound all right. Yeah, for sure. It it really does. The shortcomings that you might have, like with maybe you haven't like given everything that kind of right brilliance that it really needs, you can kind of, you know, balance that in the master stage in a way that you can't undo crazy technique, cool stuff (laughs) in a mix. (laughs) And I know a lot of people that are really good at all all these kind of crazy techniques, you know, but... It's also about, you have to put the song first. You have to put the arrangement first. Then, you know, when you know how to EQ something so it sounds well and plays everything in volume well, if you start there and get that really good, you can start, like, you know, fiddling with all the other different kind of styles of mixing. What I think is maybe a little bit of a quote-unquote problem is that, like you said, it's not as sexy as parallel compression so people want to get to the sexy stuff before they learn how to do the basic stuff that it's gonna gonna make you're gonna get so far so so far if you just know the basic stuff you know this is kind of funny back uh when jens was on the first time and we had the opeth track i noticed that people were fucking obliterating it they were destroying it. And I was thinking, how is this possible? Yeah. Like raw, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Like how are you making it sound worse yeah. than it does raw? And so I issued a challenge, the no plug-in challenge, <laughs> balancing yeah. and yeah. panning only. Let's see what you do. Lo and behold, their mixes got way, way better, you know? And then of course, from there and start adding your plugins. But it was mind blowing to so many people what they could do when 
all they could deal with was volume. The reason I'm bringing this up in this episode is because something that I've noticed mastering engineers get asked all the time is, how do you get shit loud? I want loud masters. And yeah. I know that the answer is the mix has to be capable of being mastered loud in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I kind of jumped the, jumped the shark a little bit, but when you've reached the level of you are a competent mixing engineer, I think it's always good to kind of preview your stuff through a limiter. Because if you know how things start to sound when you compress that energy, you're going to quickly discover that, oh, okay, as soon as like the energy starts to compress a little bit, that bass is way too rumbly or... Because when you have that headroom that you usually have when you mix, something like the bass, for example, for example, can be way more, you know, alive, lively, you know, way, mm-hmm. way boomier and not sound bad. But as soon as you start to, you know, compress that energy and getting it loud, all those faults and like especially problems in in the low end are gonna stand out way, way more. So I think that's something that that. I think most engineers should at least, you know, always like double check, you know, you don't need to mix through a limiter, but at least like have a quick check, you know, to, to, to make sure that when I compress the energy to just a, just a normal amount of loudness, everything translates still pretty good, you know. It doesn't completely fall apart or get crazy. Exactly. But kind of like on the topic of um, people wanting the sexy stuff before the basic stuff. When you say, well, a loud master, you know, it has to be in the DNA of the mix itself. That's not the answer people want because, well, you mean I actually have to get better at mixing first? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, uh, like, like you said in the beginning, it's like people nowadays basically have the same stuff that I have when they're at home that I use when mastering. So it's not that my equipment is wildly different. I have some hardware that probably some the most people don't have at home, but it's it's not that I I don't use the same plugins or anything. It's it's just like how to to get something really loud. You just have to, like you said, the mix has to sound good, be well balanced. Because even if I balance it with an EQ in the master, it's not gonna, you know, it's you can quickly you know mess things up by me as a mastering engineer starting to rebalance stuff too much, you know. If, if I start to do mixing in the mastering, that's when, when the master will fall, fall apart and sound bad. I've always thought that that's a weird thing to do. That gear, by the way, that you're talking about that probably not in most people's home studios, do you even need it? I mean, I know you like it, right? But do you need it? You could work without it, I'm sure. I've done a lot of the masterings in the box, so I don't need it. But it's it's especially for metal when it comes to punchiness and the, the certain sound that metal guys want. Uh, I would rather clip, you know, a great sounding AD converter than only using plugins. But I can absolutely only use plugins if I want to, for sure. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, 
Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multi-tracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. Do you think that people learning how to do this stuff at home are in any way, shape, or form limited by gear as far as just getting good is concerned? Certain kinds of sound might be limited a little bit uh, with gear, but most of it is not. I, I think you could reach a very high level at least just by doing stuff in the box. What you need is like what at least what I would need is a good pair of speakers and a well-treated room that I can trust. You know, because that that's for me what it's all about. You know, I I don't I, I can use a you know fab EQ if I want to. The EQ won't be the problem for me. For me, it's just like trusting my speakers, the room, you know, that's way more important for me. Yeah, it's unfortunate, though, that that stuff is uh, just not nearly as sexy. Yeah, I know, it's it's not. <laughs> then again, that's part of why I think it's hard to get good at this kind of stuff is because like anything else that requires discipline, you have to be disciplined enough to focus on the right things. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, it took me years, you know, it's... Uh, I'm just like I'm so grateful for Jens to to have the the patience with me to, you know I, I sat here so many times after he you know he, he quit for the day, uh, I sat here af- afterwards you know just like practicing on all kinds of different kinds of albums you know just to to learn how to use the tools and to learn how 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 the room sounds and uh, how things sound when i push something through uh, through the speakers so speaking of jens how did you get involved with him i think he mentioned it but uh, i i can uh, i can do a little flashback he did but i can't assume that people listening to this have heard that for sure i studied um music production here in Örebro. so that's how you pronounce it yeah uh, what, what did jens <laughs> say Ur- Brew. <laughs> uh, well, Man, I, I, I'm not even going to try. It is a really weird word to, to say in English. So I, I think we, we both say the name differently every time, but it's Örebro in Swedish. So. It's all you. I um, studied music production and I think like maybe half a year into it, we started to have Jens 
as a teacher in mixing and you know recording and stuff like that. Uh, I had barely heard about Fascination Street, so I didn't really know exactly who he was. But I, I knew that he was he had worked with some cool bands, you know. So I was excited for sure, you know. Um, but at, at the time, I was so 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 much into. Like I still was into Prague, but I was into like you know Porcupine Tree is one of my favorite bands ever, and so I was kind of into that you know softer kind of Prague rock stuff you know, and Jens was mainly a more maybe ext- more extreme metal guy. We had him for I think a year or something like that, and when I was done with with uh, music production, I was because I'm I'm actually not from here. I'm from a smaller town up north called called Quileftio. <laughs> that is like I, 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 <laughs> I think gonna, it's like that's even harder. <laughs> you don't you don't need to you don't need to. I checked it yesterday. I think it's like in miles. I think it's something around six hundred miles from here. Okay, it's pretty far. It's way up in up in Sweden. So I was actually considering moving back because I didn't have anything to do. And just before the music production class ended, Jens contacted some of us asking if we would wa- would want to work for him, uh, doing like admin stuff and um, mastering. And I was like, you know, of course, over the moon that it contacted me. Because I realized during music production, I learned that, I, you know, back in the day, I was more into writing songs and maybe become a, an artist or like a, a songwriter for other artists or something like that. I was, I was way more into that and also actually more into mixing and producing overall. But when he reached out to me and suggested this, I was, you know... I kind of was like, ah, oh, mastering, it's, it's really cool. And I, I really love it, you know. I love all different kinds of music. It would be so cool. So I uh, did a lot of tryouts for Jens. And uh, fortunately for me, I came out, came out on top above the other contestants. <laughs> what do you mean by lots of tryouts? Uh, like, I, I, lots of tryouts. I, I sat here for like, I, I think it was like three or four nights. I, I sat mm-hmm. sat here in the studio doing mastering. At, at the time, the, 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 um, uh, the position kind of involved, you know, helping him with mixing revisions and uh, different kind of assistant stuff, you know. So I, we, we, we kind of spend one, one day each for each kind of, you know, thing, you know, mixing revision, mastering, emailing, whatever. Um, And uh, then everything just went quiet (laughs) for like two weeks or something. And I was sure that I didn't get it, you know, because like he didn't say anything. (laughs) It was so I I think I think I called him after two weeks. I was like, dude, I I can't do this anymore. Like I I, just tell me that I didn't get it so I can like basically just move home or or something. (laughs) And he was like, "Well, I've been thinking, you know, and I, I think you're gonna get it." <laughs> I was like, uh, "It was, it was such a weird time in my life because I, I, I was still living in a dorm as well. And if you're not studying, actively studying, you can't actually can't live in a dorm. But I, I you know, they did like checkups every half year, I think. So I was kind of closing in on that checkup. So I knew that I had to move very soon. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, um, I started working here or started like." trying out basically just like you know be staying behind him watching him do whatever he he does you know and then as often as i could every evening i just sat down in the studio when he left and you know practiced like practice 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 whatever i could get get my hands on i just tried to to master and and yeah what do you think it was like do you know what it was that got him 
to pick you? <laughs> I don't think Jens knows uh, nowadays either. Now, I, I don't know. I, I think what the, the main thing for us both, I think we are very li- alike when it comes to how meticulous and how detail-oriented we are. Mm-hmm. Probably too much for my own good sometimes. I want everything to sound really good. I, I'm not going to like... I, I, I'll, I, I treat every project as a high-end project, no matter what. You know, it doesn't matter if it's like a demo band locally or if it's like, you know, Dima Borger. Everyone should be as happy as could be when they master with us. And we also had a lot of the same kind of musical taste. You know, Jens was also into Porcupine Tree and, uh, you know, kind of shared a lot of stories. When he was my teacher, we kind of talked a lot about music, you know, and and realized that we we like a lot of the same stuff, you know. He's more like maybe goth-oriented, maybe, and I was a little bit more kind of power metal-oriented when it came to my (laughs) metal taste. But uh, overall, when it came to Prague, we kind of had kind of the same taste. So, yeah. I like that you said that no matter who comes through, they're going to be treated like a high-end project. And I'm saying that because I remember lots of experiences being around mixers and producers who would kind of scoff at the local bands that they would mix during off time or they would, they'd they'd say stuff like, well, it doesn't matter as much. I'm not going to work as hard on it which I always thought was fucked up. I always thought it was fucked up for several reasons. Number one, it's like, how seriously do you take your legacy? Number two, you don't know who from what project is going to end up where at what point in time. You don't know who they know. Three, I think that excellence is a habit. It's not something that you just do here and there. If excellence is what you do, you have to do it always. Absolutely. Like, I know it sounds kind of that I'm, you know, just saying this because, you know, it sounds good. But for me, I always want everything to be as good as it can get. I don't care if it's Opeth or if it's the, the, the local demo band, you know, they everyone should be when they leave. Even, you know, sometimes, you know, delays happen and, you know, stuff like that can happen. But they should always feel that their product they got from us when it comes to mastering is like that's what they wanted. That, that, that's what they paid for. That's like, you know, they got the Fascination Street experience. That's what I want for sure. By delays, you mean like? Uh, well, what, I, what I mean is like, you know, sometimes, you know, it's uh, if maybe we have a lot of work, you know, so maybe, you know, it can take a few days before they get the oh, master. Yeah. But what I, what I mean is just like at the end of the day, they should feel like they are not treated as just some, some band or whatever. I wanted to feel that this is the Fascination Street, a Fascination Street product. That makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I like that attitude a lot. I've always thought that if you're not going to do that, just don't book the project. Yeah, but I, I've never said no either, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. Like, I know we talked about it a little bit at the beginning. Nowadays, with the amount of work that you guys have, how do you not say no? How do you balance it? I mean, it, it's not it's not an amount that is impossible. It's 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 not that, you know, I'm stuck with like two albums a day. It, it's not it's not 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 like that. We have a lot of work for sure, but you can always like you can always manage. You can always you know rearrange puzzle you know, rearrange your schedule a little bit to to facilitate a really tight deadline or something like that. There's always ways. At least. This far, there's always been ways to 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 facilitate all 
kinds of projects. When it comes to mixing, of course, you you might have to say no because a mixing product is way more time, you know. But mastering, you should be able to do a master for sure, unless it's like an insane deadline. But normally, it's it's doable for sure. So, do you ever get situations where? you have to deal with very unrealistic expectations from the client? Like maybe Never. they send you... <laughs> <laughs> so that's a yes. So, yeah, yeah. okay, so I'm asking this because you say you want everyone to have the Fascination Street experience. You know, Fascination Street is uh, synonymous with really great sounding records. But say you get sent something to master that just, it's just shitty. It's just badly done and you doing your best is going to only make it mediocre. Like you're going to be able to take it from an absolute fail to mediocre, <laughs> but which is a miracle. Yeah. But there's no way that you're going to be able to bring it up to A plus level. I do absolutely agree. But what I mean with the Fascination Street experience, what I mean is like they shouldn't walk away feeling like, ah, oh, God damn it. We did like three revisions and it still didn't end up like we wanted it to, you know? Um, I think most people nowadays know that they can't expect like a remix through the mastering, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that they can only, th- th- there's like a limit to what they can expect through mastering. Um, so, you know, of course, like shit in, shit out, you know, but you can at least make that poop shine, you know. <laughs> you can uh, make it a, a more consistent poop. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so I mean, like... What I mean is not that every album is going to sound like Watershed. It's not like anything like that. But it's, you know, when you understand what, what mastering can get you, you also understand what a bad master is. Because what I, what I notice a lot is that so many artists and bands and whatever have had bad experience, bad experiences mastering so many times. Um, and that's, you know where I come in, <laughs> basically. And, uh, you know, you, you, you show, that, show that, like, sure, you've had a lot of bad experiences, but even if this mix isn't perfect, we can still make it sound really cool and, you know, make everything in the mix shine as good as possible. Those bad experiences, man, I, I call it studio PTSD. Because <laughs> pe- bands will come into the studio for a production having had a bad experience, you know, the previous time or something, and they'll carry that baggage with them from oh, yeah. the bad experience, whether it was a producer or a mixer or a mastering engineer, they'll carry that forward. And I think that one of the challenges is being the, you know, being the new mixer, the new mastering engineer is also to deal with their psychology about that stuff. If if they've had a bunch of bad experiences, obviously they changed mastering engineers hoping that it'll be better, but I'm sure still in their heads somewhere, they're halfway expecting it to go shitty again. For sure. I've talked to a lot of the bands that are major in my world at least that have, have been visiting us almost every time I hear like a story about, you know, like we were so happy with the mix. Everything sounded so cool. And after, you know, maybe like the label has like, you know, their go-to place when it comes to mastering. And when they get back their songs, it just sounds like ass, you know. They don't recognize the songs. You know, that's always been my goal to preserve 
the song, the music, you know. It doesn't matter if I don't like the song, it doesn't matter if it's a bad mix, but preserve the song, make it sound as good as possible. Don't like, I'm not interested in making it my own. Because I think a lot of, there's a lot, there's kind of a branch of mastering engineers out there that are like, they want to make something their own, you know. This, this is my touch. My touch sounds like this, you know. That's not me, you know. I, I you know, I, I've done everything from Billie Eilish to Demi Borger, as you said. And I don't like put, I don't use a certain EQ to make it sound Tony, you know. <laughs> I, I always focus on the material at hand only. I feel like that artistic side of it should be in the mix, in the production. Yeah, I know. But it, uh, tell that to some mastering engineers. <laughs> it's weird. It makes me wonder if if uh, they just didn't pick the wrong thing to specialize in. Yeah, probably. Or... <laughs> <laughs> you know, or yeah. maybe maybe in their world, the mastering engineer does does that. But uh, but I feel like it's one of those things where I've always thought, like you know, if you want to play a bunch of solos, if that's your thing, yeah. don't play bass. <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah, 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 and yeah, I'm sure, sure you know there are some so bassists who can do noodly shit and keep it cool. But, you know, there's like three of them in the world. It's kind of like if you want to be a virtuoso and play solos, there's an instrument that's really, really good for that. It's called guitar. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's the same sort of thing. If you want to add your own uh, artistic touch and your own tone and all that shit. Well, there's something called mixing and <laughs> producing. Yeah, for, Ab for that. absolutely. But like, let, let's face it, mixing is even though like you know mastering has always been considered the black arts of music production. Um, mixing is harder. It's it's way more way more complicated at least. You know, mastering is hard but not complicated. Um, so I think it, it might just be people who feel that you know. Mixing is too much. <laughs> I'm gonna get in, get into mastering, and I can collect a lot of cool stuff, and I can I can put them on every track that I get here. Um, and yeah, dude, you say it's easier, but it's super easy to ruin a mix with a master. So is it really easier? But it's even even easier to ruin a mix by mixing. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. True. What I mean by easy is like you know I I don't have like you know. 200 tracks to, to keep track of, you know. It's True. usually just one stereo track. And if it's a good mix, maybe it just needs a little bit of loudness, you know. It doesn't, doesn't need to be, like, I, I don't need to use any magical stuff, you know. Well, I think that that's part of the, part of what's difficult is knowing that, knowing that you don't need to do anything nuts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that, that's, you know, that that's experience and uh, also knowing what the clients want, you know, um, Talking about Jens, you know, Jens ha has such a, you know, great and final sound to everything he does that it's sometimes hard to know if he wants, you know, something more or if he, if it's exactly, you know, balance-wise, exactly where he wants it to be at, you know. So in those cases, it can be, can be almost difficult to know uh, if you need to do anything. Do you just ask him? Sometimes, for sure. But, uh, you know, you, you all, you, I mean, everything moves on so quickly. That's kind of what happens here. You know, we, we never have time to really 
you know, step back and think too much. We just, we have to press on. If he sends me a mix and he's like, this sounds really good as it is, you know, you don't need to do much or anything. Then I know kind of that this is, you know, he's, he's already set the, 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 the standard and balance of everything that he wants. So it might just need small, small adjustments between songs, you know, to, to make everything come together. But um, yeah. Communication, man, comes down to that, I think at the end of the day. It does for sure. When it comes to knowing what the client wants, so, you know, you and Jens have a decade of experience together. So I think that like, just through experience working with him, you're gonna understand his requests. But what about when you're dealing with clients who are not good at communicating things? You have to interpret what they want. What's your process with that? I would say like, if, if I had a superpower, it would probably be, that I'm usually pretty good at understanding what a band goes for, or at least what a band, what they have in mind when it comes to references. So I usually know what to reference in order to get what they want. I'm actually pretty good at that. So there's actually a lot of psychology, I would say, when it comes to mastering, because you need to, if the band isn't talkative or isn't like really wanting to, sometimes, you know, the classic thing is like, you know, a band saying like, we trust you, just do your thing. And when you do your thing, you know, they have like a thousand comments afterwards. Yeah, like whatever that means, just do your thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For mastering as a whole, I think it's super important to have like a communication with the band. Just like talk to them. What do you have in mind? Do you have any references? They don't need to have any references, but like just to get a feel for if they want something super loud or if they want, you know, just feel them out a little bit. That's always good. And something that I, I, I think that... Uh, I've um, become better at also with the years, you know, it's, I think in the beginning, I kind of was hesitant to ask too much, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, cause I, I don't know if I maybe thought that it was maybe unprofessional, but nowadays I feel that it's way more professional to really get a feel for what you're doing. Cause you know, I don't know the band, so I need to, to understand what they, they want, you know? So I feel that it's, it's my... It's interesting that you thought it was unprofessional because... I think uh, at the beginning, a lot of people have this urge to make other people believe that they're working with an expert. Yeah. So, um, so you don't need to ask so many questions because. Why I said that is also because, like, starting to work here for me it was like going from like the kids' league up into you know NHL <laughs> yeah. or whatever. You know, it was like such a huge leap for me i had barely done any real productions like like full album productions you know and then then all of a sudden you know i'm in a studio with you know devin townsend you know (laughs) it was insane so i i think for me not starting my own studio and not like growing up in the position that i was in in a natural way kind of maybe put some ideas in my head that i you know you know oh if you're if you're professional you need to be you, you, you already know what somebody wants, you know, or something like that. But uh, throughout the years, I've just realized that keep commu- communication transparent and open. And, uh, you know, people, clients will love you more for it than they will feel that you are, you know, you, you, don't, you don't need to over, over, like, do too many questions. But just, just have like a, get a feel for what, for, for what the band wants and they're going to like you even more for it, you know. Because you give a shit. Yeah, exactly. If you're interested in the music, that's what they want, you know. So I have a few questions here from listeners for you. Sure. So from Philip Self, do you ever have to send stuff back to the mix engineer to fix 
before you master it? If so, how do you start that conversation, especially when the mixer could want to charge for revisions and the band may not want to pay for another revision? Yes, I quite often ask if something can be done to a mix. Let's say I just when I'm mastering and I feel like the mix is really sounding really good, but that low end is just so boomy and one note resonancy, you know, that like if you don't take care of this in the mix, I have to compensate too much in the master that's going to make it not sound as good as it can sound, you know. And I would say 90% of bands are, or even more, are so happy for you to comment and send something back for a quick fix, you know. If you feel like this could really make the sound of the master be better at the end if you fix this. I've never, almost, I don't think I've ever experienced someone being like mad at me because I say this. I'm pretty, I'm very polite in emails, of course, you know, as I think you should, you know, you're providing a service, so you shouldn't be like an asshole. <laughs> but uh, but uh, still, I think most people appreciate you taking the time to not just steamroll through it and don't give a crap, you know, like I, because I, like I said, that's what, that's the experience I want people to have. It's like, I, as an engineer, cared for what actually happened to the end result, you know, not just like limit the hell out of it and just, you know, collect the money, you know. Man, I don't know any really good mixers who would charge for that. Yeah. If the mastering engineer was like, hey, I need you to fix something, please. Yeah, that's the, the second part of the question. Like I've had, you know, the issue that they won't afford it maybe twice in 10 years or something. For me, it's been extremely rare to for, 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 for the client to say like, oh, the mixer, they're just going to charge way too much so we, we, we can't afford it. And if they can't afford it, you know, we just work with what we have. But I always, if, if there's something that is an obvious thing that could be better handled in the mixing stage, let's at least try to do that first. Yeah. So a uh, question here from Scott Bennett. What is the most common issue that you see when mixers try to master their own material? Uh, was it called Pro L2? <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, the most common problem is probably, yeah, uh, loudness is probably the most common thing. You know, people, they look at numbers too much, you know. They try to reach those minus five LUFS or whatever it is and uh, maybe not listening to what's best for the song. Because like a lot of mixing engineers... When they're done mixing, I know that a lot of mixing engineers to this day really wants, you know, they want a loud master. But you can get, like we talked about earlier, you can get something that sounds loud without smashing the hell out of it, you know. Of all the mastering engineers I've spoken to who do it for real, when it comes to those numbers, they typically say, yeah, they look at the numbers, but it's not the priority. Yeah. It can't be. Like, I know the whole, like, you know, Spotify, I know they try <laughs> and good for them, but it's, um, I, I don't sit around looking at numbers at all. If it doesn't sound good, I, I couldn't care less about numbers, you know. All right. Question from Toby William Allen. What is the biggest non-audio skill you've learned from working with Jens? Actually, something that I've learned from working with Jens that is something that I might have not have done at all before. It's just like, Research yourself before you start asking everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I know I annoyed him a lot, you know, in the beginning with a thousand questions, and I probably do still. But um, just like you know, shaking, just trying to find the answer yourself can often be more. 
productive than just just asking. Then again, I I, I still feel that it's really good to have that kind of com- communication when you get to ask people. You know, it's for some people, myself included, it's easier to understand if someone explains it to me rather than just reading it. But um, you can get a long way just by trying to to find the answer yourself. So that's probably it. Well, there's certain kinds of questions where I know that if someone's asking me these questions, they're telling me they're lazy because they don't need me for that answer. So they're lazy and they're inconsiderate. They're not respecting my time. However, there are some things where I would prefer that they ask me because they need me to explain it. Like Google's not going to explain it as well as I could. They should ask. Exactly. And... uh also, as a non-native, you know, English native speaking person, sometimes it's just like annoying and hard. If, if you haven't grown up in this business to know like the actual term for certain things that you want to know about can be difficult to just like come up with, you know. To be fair, like most of the knowledge out there is going to be in English and not in Swedish. So that can be tough sometimes if you want to find answers for yourself. It's just like what... What even is this thing in English, you know? <laughs> and you guys are great at English, though. Oh, are we? I don't know. <laughs> Feel Swedes like just... in general. Well, fuck yeah. It. Absolutely. I guess. Better than Americans. So question from Jay Rutsky. What was it like for you when you took on your first big client and how did you manage the additional pressure that comes with it? <laughs> also a good question. I'm going to be honest, and it's going to sound insane, but it's I rarely feel pressured. But even if I know it's going to be it's a, it's a big, big artist, I don't feel more pressure from that compared to just your average album. Just because I have such a high, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself for everything I do, you know. Like my quality check is through the roof usually i'm usually having a really hard time liking what i do even though i know that this is gonna sound good you know just personally know if i know that i worked on an album i'm having a little bit of a hard time listening to it afterwards just because i hear all the things i could have done better you know but the first really big thing i think it was like the paradise lost draconian live thing they did when they did the 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 the, um, anniversary for Draconian. I don't know if how, how old it was, like 20 years or something. Uh, and Jens mixed that and let me master it. And that was just huge because I grew up listening to a lot, you know, Metallic and everything. And, I, you know, Paradise Lost was all, always on the radar. So it was, a, it was a name that I I saw, you know, when I was checking out stuff on the internet. I, I wasn't like a fan myself, maybe, but still, you know. But you it was knew a, the name. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So absolutely, it was something that kind of, you know, there was a special feeling to it, for sure. But I, I rarely, and I, I think that's maybe also a good thing for me, that I, I rarely get over-pressured by by it being a major client. It's interesting you say that. That shit has never stressed me out either, Yeah, which I think is why I'm able to do what I do and have been able to do what I've done is because I don't think anyone's special. <laughs> so it doesn't, uh, I mean, they are. Yeah, there's, I, I mean, I say that kind of joking. Like I, I know that I talk to and work with some of the most amazing people in the world at this shit, but I don't, care like it i don't care who they've worked with or any of that stuff like i'm not i'm impressed by their skills but like it's not it's not like this fan type thing and so it doesn't pressure me like obviously i want certain things to work out 
but I don't feel those nerves that they're talking about. And so it's made it very easy. I mean, within it's not easy, but it's made it appropriate, I think. And if you don't get that, I think that that's part of what's allowed you to succeed. Yeah, like like I said, like, it's not that I don't feel pressure because I absolutely do. Like I said, my I, I have a lot of... I put a lot of pressure on myself, but I do that for everything I do. It's it's yeah, not like exactly. it's it's not going to change if it is like you know it, it has to be something very close to heart. Like say for example, <laughs> dream situation. Metallica calls me and want a master. You know, in that case, I'm I'm sure you know something. Not only because Metallica, because like you know that's how I got into metal. You know, it was like I listened to them twenty four seven. You know. So if it's something really close to hard, that would change. But other than that, you know, I, I just put a lot of pressure on myself. I, I know that my thinking is always like, if Ted Jensen can sound this good, I can as well, you know. That's a good way to think of it. Somehow I can as well. <laughs> I bet you, though, if, if you got Metallica as crazy as it would be to book Metallica and <laughs> Probably, yeah. everything leading up to it, once you're actually working, I'm sure you would just be doing your work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I still think that I, I might be like, ooh, this is actually Metallica, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I know Metallica it would might have be, to be like Metallica. A, it has to be Metallica. So kind of a ridiculous um, example. But it's it's like, I don't, other than that, you know, it's just the pressure that comes from myself that is the, the major part. Yep. I think that that's key. I really yeah. do. Because if you're, if you're getting freaked out by the clients... <laughs> Gonna have a hard time doing a good job. Oh yeah, for sure. Like to be honest, working here, I think me not being into extreme music the first two years I worked here kind of helped because <laughs> I didn't know mm-hmm. any of the bands that we were working on. It was like, oh, okay, this is like a band, and and maybe it was like you know something actually huge within the genre, but I didn't know about them. So that kind of helped the the, the first years, you know. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, you know, I'm I'm so you know I I know know about so many people and, you know, know about so many bands. So nowadays that wouldn't happen, man. But I think it actually helped me a little bit, at least. Sounds like it <laughs> Being would. kind of oblivious. <laughs> Question from Ted Jr. On a scale of one to 10, how worried do you get about inter-sample peaks in your finished masters? <laughs> one, maybe. To do the, like, the, the douchey mastering engineer, what, what the, the answer you always hear on see on every master engineering forum use your ears if it sounds good it sounds good you know i i don't uh, uh, I, I always double check everything but I, I i you know i don't like it of course <laughs> it's it's a it's a problem that it, you know going resampling and whatever it's of course an issue but it you have a lot of tools nowadays with that you can at least preview stuff uh, while working, that you can at least see how it translates when it, you know, when sh- when you change formats and stuff like that. But sure, like at the end of the day, would would I like you know a, a resampler to be perfect? Of course, you know, of course. But it's it's not something that. Uh, let, let's bump it up to a three at least. A three, but All but right. it, it, but it's it's not something that you know. A soft three. A, a soft three. That's not my main issue when it comes to mastering. All right. Last question from Nick Henretti. How often would you say you stem master a song instead of getting just a stereo file? Maybe one in 20, maybe. One in 20 projects, so not in one in 20 songs. But Good, I'm glad to hear that. Actually, right now we have more of them just going, but it's not the most common thing. Most people, 
are happy going with their stereo mix, you know. And I always, when, when people ask me, I always say like, sure, I make more money out of doing stem mastering, but it's not like, I don't hate stem mastering as much as I know some people do. I also know that it's, even if the end results can be way better by doing stem mastering, I also know that it's easier to, you know, end up in me messing up some levels or whatever and just creating unnecessary work for myself, you know, and for the client as well that has, you know, start revising guitar volumes and stuff like that in the mastering stage. That's not, you know, what I want. Makes sense. Um, I skipped a bunch of questions about like what EQs you use and what <laughs> compressors you use because yeah. I just want people listening to know that I don't think that that's going to help you. And, you know, like if, if we do something with you on URM, like on video, then we'll go into that stuff. But I don't think that in the context of a podcast, it's going to help. And you already said you pretty much use the same shit that everyone already has. So, yeah, like. They've already got it. I would say that 99% of what I do when it comes to EQ is in the box. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it doesn't matter. In my opinion, the, the whole point isn't what you're using. It's how you're using it. And they've already got all the tools they need for the most part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm sure most of, of, of the people in the community have has more plugins than I do. I, I, I've actually kind of, I've just like set up a set up a new system here. So it's, it's kind of bare, a bare system. So I, I, I'm, I'm only using, you know, I, I've only installed what I need, you know. <laughs> so it's got like two plugins. And I, not, not, maybe not that bad, but it's, it's not that much, you know. So you, you can absolutely reach a pre- great results using your in the box stuff for sure. Totally. But uh, would I would I love to have a plethora of uh, outboard EQs? Yes, for sure. But it's well, why not? Yeah, exactly. But it's uh, the, the problem is like I do I do ha- have some um, outboard EQs, but the problem is you know the rate we're doing stuff nowadays, and what, especially like people getting better at knowing what they want and maybe ask for revisions, revising stuff with outboard gear is just annoying and the 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 factor you know annoying versus you know effectiveness uh effectiveness usually wins yeah good way to put it all right tony it's been a pleasure having you on i think this is a good place to end the episode very much enjoyed it and uh thank you thank you thank you all right then Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at Audio at URM Academy and of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at urm.academy and use the subject line, answer me, al. All right then, till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.